Hi, and welcome to Nation State of Play. I'm your host, Brian Miller. On each episode of this podcast, we explore high-impact topics determining the future of our nation-state. Our guests today are Amy Okatikin and Rob Pawsmith from CAPE, the California Association for Private Events. Amy and Rob join us to discuss the status of private event reopenings in California and how a critical industry has been left in the lurch by Sacramento. Well, Amy and Rob, thank you so much for being here. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for having us, Brian. Thank you for having us. Great. Well, yeah, could you tell us a little bit about the new organization and who you represent? Sure. So we are California Association for Private Events, and essentially we are event professionals and some of the you know top event professionals throughout California. And how we came about is we, uh, you know, once we hit COVID we quickly realized that there wasn't an organization that was lobbying and advocating for the private event industry. And we found that that was one of our biggest challenges is non-representation. And so there were a lot of regional task forces that were forming. So I was forming San Diego's task force, Rob was forming LA and in multiple counties throughout California. And so we collectively joined together to create CAPE, um, so that way we could advocate for the private event industry throughout the entire state of California. Great. So um, in terms of uh, what you're focused on in the short run, obviously, I know that the whole industry has been been ground to a halt, but how have you kind of laid out your action plans and what you're seeking over the next, say, few months? One of the biggest things that we're obviously looking for at this point is reopening. So a big challenge that we have is we're not even recognized in the four tiers of the reopening blueprint. So events is such a large sector that I can understand where it would come from, you know, from the state level of how do we compartmentalize events and what do we look at? But wedding ceremonies are really the only event specific category that is even outlined in this guidance. So one, our first initiative is we have to be recognized and we have to be able to be seen somewhere in the system. Two, we need guidelines. Our specific industry is very different. We are not like a restaurant where you say on Tuesday you can reopen and on Friday we can be ready to go. Weddings, events, things of that nature take months, if not years to plan. And so that's something that we need to make abundantly clear at the state level is that the timing and the urgency is extremely critical. Live Event Coalition, they just did a survey and 70% of live event businesses say they'll be out of business if they don't reopen by January. And that's extremely concerning. So we have an entire industry that is just dying because we're one, not recognized and two, don't have any guidelines. So as important as that is, the third component is going to be timing. So we don't have any timeline, not being part of the tiered system. You know, there's no end in sight we are zero open, zero guidance at this point. And so obtaining that timeline and figuring out where we fit in this system is literally life or death for our industry. And Amy said that, and Amy said that pretty, you know, pretty, pretty accurately. And, you know, for us, when we talk about private events, we're talking about receptions, we're talking about weddings, we're talking about charitable and political fundraisers, um, you know, things that make our industry move. And I think that what is so important to us is 
being able to have that timeline, being able to have some sort of guidelines. And I think that's what's so frustrating for us as professionals, as, as Amy did mention, is we can't, you tell us we can open, you know, today, we can't plan a wedding in 24 hours. It takes a lot of time and a lot of vendors and it takes, it's the trickle down effect. It's, you know, from your catering departments, your floral departments, the person that's doing, you know, that's uh, doing your dress and your, your alterations on your tuxedos and your transportation. I mean, it really is affecting so many different categories in a private event. And it's, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it is, it's life or death at this point. So, so I assume the response you get when you make that argument to policymakers is, well, we just don't know when that's going to be possible given given the nature of of the the outbreak is is that essentially what you're hearing and, and well, how do you respond to that well it i'm see i we're, we're hearing i think two different responses one is yes we don't know what where the pandemic is going we don't know when you're going to be able to open or the second response is again we don't know how your industry works and we don't know what to do so this is why we are asking to be able to get a seat and be able to hear us so we can help guide what we are, we as professionals know how to do it and do it safely. You know, so we, we, we I'm getting two things on, on our side and Amy could probably say the same thing on her side is we're getting such mixed, mixed communication from different people. Absolutely. So one of the challenges is the mixed communication and we get, trust me, we get that no one knows the trajectory of the virus, but put us in a tier system, put us somewhere in there. Like for us to be, we have 3 million jobs in the state of California, over 10 million, I'm sorry, $10 billion in economic impact. How our industry isn't even listed just continues to baffle me. The other challenge we have with timelines is you know, it's a lot of chicken and egg. So we've been working on the county levels. So to give San Diego as an example, so we got the support of four out of five of our board of supervisors. We went through the chief resilience officer and our reopening team. We had our public health officer review this and they all believe that the guidelines that CAPE has drafted are sufficient to be you consider it at the state level, but they're waiting on the state to come back and say, yes, you can operate under restaurant guidelines, or yes, we have guidelines specific for events. And so while we may not have a, no one has a crystal ball on this thing, what we do have is the ability to tear this out like every other industry has been tiered out, but we have just been completely forgotten. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, and unlike, you know, unlike, you know, bars and restaurants, privately hosted social events, you know, we will maintain a guest list, we will do the contact tracing, you know, for for, uh, for for cities and counties and government officials. And that's, I think, something that I think is is not recognized of how much of an of an advocate and ally we can be to our state officials. It's not like going into a restaurant. They're not taking our names down. They're not taking our phone numbers down. You know, you can go into a packed restaurant of 100 people where you're socially distanced, you know, for, per se, and they have no information of who we are. Yeah, yeah. That's an interesting point. Uh, let me say this. So do you have a sense of what other countries have done in this space who've, who've succeeded in, in containing um, the, the outbreaks? And, you know, I'm curious if there's other models to maybe look at in, in other places here. Absolutely. So we've been looking at different countries. We've also been looking at different states. So there is a database that lists every state and their current restrictions, and then also links to any sort of 
issues that have arised. So one of the things that's really important to note is, you know, we're not asking for a dance party for 200 people at this point. We understand that that's unsafe. And I feel like a lot of times when policymakers and, and the decision makers look at our industry, they think that we're just wanting to reopen gangbusters and go back to the way that things were before. We're not saying that. So, you know, what's been extremely successful in other states and other countries is to modify, just like everything else is being modified. So, you know, to start, we're talking about seated dinner receptions. We're not talking about, you know, raging parties, uh, cocktail hours, things like that. But as the we can chart the path and the trajectory of the virus, then we'll be able to pivot and we'll be able to either become more restrictive or less restrictive. But right now with a zero open, zero guidance, we're just stuck in the mud. Um, so it's definitely something that we're looking at the trends for other states, other countries. Um, and one other thing to note is, you know, certainly there's media and it's sensational around the one outbreak that's happened from a wedding, you know, in Maine. But that's not the case. Like there have been hundreds of thousands of weddings that have taken place since the pandemic began because of guidelines that other states have implemented. And what we're seeing in California, and the really, really unfortunate thing, is we're either, either seeing people move their business out of state or they're moving underground. And what's happening when people move their events underground is they're throwing caution to the wind. They are not doing anything by the books or the guidelines. They're saying, you know what? We have no guidance. We have nothing. We're doing it. And those are the cases. And those are the things that as professionals, we are trying to stop because that's what's going to give our industry a bad rep. And that's going to cause further issues with our reopening. Absolutely. And Brian, and with going back to with the no guideline or timeline, it's, this is going to continue to happen and this is where it's going to fail. Um, and, you know, you know, in many privately hosted events, such as weddings, you know, our family, this isn't, this isn't public events and, you know, and no one takes care of family better than family. Right. So, you know, and with, with that being said, it's, it's definitely something that when you are looking at these underground, you see on the news and you're looking at all these underground events that are happening with all these people that looks like a rave. These aren't, these aren't professionals putting these on. These are people that are saying, okay, well, the professionals don't want to do this. So we're going to do it ourselves. And the problem is they don't know how to do it. So what's happening is it's coming back. Well, well, look, that person just had a 300 person wedding. Well, it has nothing to do with our industry. They've done that on their own. And they're going to continue to do that as long as we don't have any guidelines. And to this specific point about like not being in the tiers and not having the guidelines how, how do they respond to that? I know you said there, there's, there's sort of this response of, well, we don't understand your industry, but but specifically as to why they didn't try to factor this in into the guidelines, have they given you an answer to that? No, <laughs> long story <laughs> short, um, you know, we met with Dr. Alice Chen and her team um, from California Health and Human Services last week. And the great news is the dialogue is open. So while we don't have an answer as to why our industry wasn't looked at yet, we are hopeful that starting that dialogue with them will be able to make that change. So 
like I mentioned, we did create guidelines. So, you know, when, when no one's doing anything, what do you do? You pick up and you do it yourself. And so Cape created these guidelines. We, you know, like I said, took them through a few different counties and we feel like they're really strong and something that the state could literally look at, have legal, have the teams that they need to have go biz, look at it and make whatever modifications they can to quickly implement that. So that's really our target right now is, working with Dr. Chen and her team to get those guidelines pushed through. You know, and I, and what's amazing is that we finally have gotten to the state level. Um, Amy and her team and uh, my team in Los Angeles County have worked with our local board of supervisors and deputy mayors. Um, and they're really honest about it saying, Hey, we don't know about your industry. We don't know how to operate your industry. We are looking to professionals like you as why we brought you on to our official task force to be able to structure and create guidelines for us to be able to submit. The problem is when we submit, it gets stagnant and it stays there. It doesn't go anywhere. And we can, you know, we can, we can, you know, we can call them and talk to them and we get the same answers. Well, we're waiting for state. We're waiting for state. We're waiting for state. So this is, you know, Amy, had that aha moment was like, we need to get to state. And that's where we are now. And I think that, you know, starting the dialogue is amazing and great, but it has, they have to be open to hearing us and allowing us to be able to have a seat at the table to provide them with the information that is needed to be able to create and keep the jobs and our industry open and alive. So can you explain to me a little bit more about <clears throat> where the guidance technically is? Because you, my understanding is you can have small events with family and friends up to certain numbers under the state guidelines, right? It, it, is there, 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 there are certain things that are currently allowed. Is that correct? Well, so, so yes and no. So <laughs> up until last week, no, the answer was no. Technically a gathering, which is two members outside of a household is not allowed. The state did just recently issue some new guidance on gatherings, which we had been told for weeks leading up to this, that this was, you know, being anticipated. So we were very excited and hopeful that this was inclusive of professional events, but instead it was on private gatherings, which is essentially just meant for people who are going, gathering at their homes, gathering at a beach or a park. Really that the state put out that guidance, which essentially stipulates three households, no more than three households, outdoors. If you need to go inside, you can only do so to use the restroom. Quite frankly, this is what people have been doing. And it, it, it's it's quite, quite hypocritical because, you know, the, the state has PSAs talking about how to safely attend an illegal event. And then they put out guidance saying, hey, no more than three households. And we understand that that's in preparation for Halloween and Thanksgiving and Christmas and things that they, I'm sure they know that people are going to gather at those functions. However, they have nothing to do with the private event sector or professionally run events. So that's where there's a huge disconnect in that, you know, great. We know now you, you're only supposed to have two other households at your house, but where does that leave us? It really doesn't do anything for our industry. Gotcha. So um, you mentioned goals, get, making sure you get in the tiers, getting a timeline. I, and it sounds like you've proposed some pretty serious safety guidelines in that process. Can you expand on that a little bit and, and what 
what you have uh, gone to the state with to, to try to make sure this is done in a safe way? Absolutely. So, you know, like I mentioned, there's there's no way we're going to go back to weddings pre the way they were pre-COVID or events pre-COVID. So essentially what we've outlined is a tiered system that will allow for the most restrictive once we are able to reopen and then gradually get less restrictive as the virus is more contained. So, you know, initially you're looking at things like, you know, and one of the things that Rob and I and our teams really focused on is what are the elements of events? So you think about a traditional, I'll just use a wedding as an example. So your ceremony, everyone's seated. That's easy to social distance. We put those protocols in place. But then cocktail hour. Typically, that's a standing function where people are mingling. You know, So, so now, instead of having a, a traditional cocktail hour, it's how do we adjust that and make it plated? So everyone must have a seat. Instead of tray past appetizers, it's individual, you know, individual plates or a station with plates and shields, um, no traditional bar service, everything seated service, seated dinners versus opening it up for dancing, those sorts of measures in addition to sanitation, um, you know, distancing and, and different elements to really make sure that we are operating as safely as possible. On. So we've seen uh, a lot of use of rapid testing in big events, um, you know, particularly sporting events, and and there's quite a bit of this going on. And um, lately, with NFL being back on on Sundays, and the NBA did it successfully. Is that something you guys have considered in this process? Absolutely, Brian. Um, and it's something that you know is actually a perk to our industry because we do have closed guest lists. Um, we can test prior. Um, and uh, we are working with, uh, you know, a couple of different companies to see what the affordable rapid testing would be. Um, and after, you know, even when speaking with clients, um, it's something that they're all interested in. Um, and I think that it's something that is going to be the new norm, especially for private events, because it is going to know that people are safe and it is going to know that people are there that are not infected with the virus. So rapid testing is going to be, you know, one of our biggest, you know, our, one of our best friends in, in the future. So uh, it's definitely a perk for our industry. Great. So um, in, in terms of people who are in the supply chain, other people who are in the event industry, if they want to help and get involved in the advocacy, what's the best thing that they can do right now to help? So there's a few different things that they can do to help. The number one would be to contact us. So again, you can find us on our website, capecalifornia.org. You can find us through social media, Save CA Events. You can email into info at capecalifornia.org. And our biggest MO right now is getting our local support. So we need the support from the Board of Supervisors, mayors, assembly, Congress, anyone who has a political voice we need letters of support so that way we can package it and put it together. So when we are talking to California Health and Human Services, GoBiz, Governor Newsom's office, we want to show that we have the support of the local and the regional uh, government officials who can then propel us to hopefully get these guidelines pushed through and hopefully get that timeline going. Additionally, you know, we're always looking for volunteers to come in to help us with some of the legwork. Uh, so if anyone is available, certainly reach out via our website and we would love to have additional help and support. Great. Well, Amy and Rob, thanks so much for being on the show. Um, really appreciate you articulating this tremendously important issue to policymakers and wish you the, the best of luck with your advocacy on this. 
Thanks so much, Brian. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for listening to Nation State of Play. Our producer is Hannah Miller. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcast app is. For more information, you can find us on Facebook at Nation State of Play.